Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite by this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This bright and a little bit chilly, Pierre. It's Saturday morning, Saturday the 4th of July here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And good morning, all of you. I think the 4th of July, isn't it? American Independence Day or whatever, but We don't say those things. That's right, that's right. Just, yeah, I know, I know, but, but... Look at that slap on on me. Absolutely. Anyway, let's we've got a full full program here, Giselle. Let's not uh, get uh, side sidetracked. Anyway, who who brings you APC? <laughs> um, Asia Pacific Currency is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to contact us, you can ring us on zero three nine double six three seven two double seven. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and we regularly post information, news, and updates from the Asia Pacific region. So find us on those social media platforms. Just very quickly, I also wanted to add that we are still trying to raise our money for Radiothon. So uh, don't forget to ring in 94198377 if you'd like to contribute to keep independent and left-wing voices on air. But of course, I'll just keep yabbering on if that's all right, Pierre. In the second part of the program... Um, Pierre and I are going to have a discussion about, uh, broadly speaking, fascism. So as we've mentioned a number of times on the program, um, there are left, uh, sorry, there are far right wing forces organising in Australia at the moment. They go under various names. They've had various splits. So Reclaim Australia, the United Patriots Front. But what about fascism in the rest of the Asia-Pacific? And that's the discussion that we're going to have in the second part of the program. But, of course, first up, That's right. There's the mini news. And uh, I would love to start off, Giselle, but I think you've got number one. (laughs) So I just gave you enough breath to to catch your breath, enough time. So (laughs) go for it. News from around the region. An accident in a warehouse in an industrial suburb in Phnom Penh that killed three workers has highlighted once again Cambodia's defic- excuse me, deficient work safety legislation. The three workers were killed as they were attempting to upload a big piece of marble off a truck. They were not provided with any mechanical devices and the stone pro- proving too heavy crushed all three of them. Labor activists have called for the prosecution of the owner of the factory. In an unrelated incident, four garment workers were hospitalised when a truck tried to break a picket line. The workers had been surrounding the factory over unpaid wages. I think that story really shows how occupational health and safety is something that concerns everyone um, around the region. But we now jump to the other side of Asia, where we go to um, Palestine, where we've, as we reported recently, international solidarity activists had organised another naval flotilla to bring much-needed supplies to Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, as in previous times, in an act of piracy on the high seas, these ships were intercepted in international waters by the Israeli military and forcibly taken to an Israeli town. This latest action once again highlights the conditions that Palestinians in Gaza have to endure and the continuing illegal occupation of Palestinian territory by Israel. 
and moving to Korea. In a vote this week by over 14,000 workers, the workforce of General Motors plants in South Korea approved the taking of industrial action over issues of pay, bonuses and job classification. Some of these issues have been fought by workers over a number of years and we've got two previous stories that you can read about uh, when you go to our website. The automotive industry is one of the most integrated in the world with companies constantly trying to lower costs by pitting workers against each other. Globally, coordinated actions need to be taken to defeat these global companies. Of course, one of those stories that we're linking to is the Sung Yong dispute of 2009, which listeners will no doubt be aware of. And the other significance of this um, a decision by South Korean workers to take industrial action is the the labour movement there is under a, a serious concerted attack by by the Park regime or administration. That's right, uh, Jill. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, and um, we'll go to a local news where, as um, we've uh, detailed ma- many times uh, before on this program, the, this Australian government repression of asylum seekers and refugees keeps increasing with now new laws being elected with the full support of the ALP opposition. One of these latest laws has been the so-called Border Force Act, which carries a jail term of up to two years for any workers at refugee detention centres who speak out about conditions in these centres. In protest, a group of health workers in Darwin last week publicly challenged the government to prosecute them as they stated they were not going to be bound by this law. So um, all the best to all of you and uh, more power to you. The conditions that migrant workers have to endure in many countries in West Asia has been well documented. A new report has highlighted how the rights of migrant workers in these countries are systematically abused. The laws that govern migrant workers routinely jeopardise workers' legal status and thereby making them more vulnerable to crime gangs, greater exploitation and indefinite detention. And while, while these reports are really important to read, one thing it does really remind me of Pierre, given that it has been well documented, is actually um, there's really no way around that but to organise and actually fight back. Um, You'll get 100% agreement by me um, on there, Giselle. Um, We now go um, to Thailand, where, again, as we've talked a lot uh, here on this program, unfortunately, sometimes we have to say, as we've we've, uh, brought you before, because some of these issues do keep going because they are hard uh, nuts to crack. But um, the military junta in Thailand is consolidating its hold by suppressing all criticism of the coup. In the latest developments, a newly formed organisation called the New Democracy Movement staged a series of protests in May to protest against the military regime. The military has arrested a number of students over the last few weeks, including 14 students as they define them as ringleaders. These students are now facing up to seven years in jail charged with sedition. Now, interestingly enough, a television program that um, looked at their arrests, actually a program on their arrest, is now facing um, prosecution from the military as well. The students um, in jail have actually put out a call for further resistance and the need to organise. So you like that, Giselle? (laughs) 
Um, and as we uh, talked about right at the start of the show and as we'll continue to discuss towards the end of the show, this year has seen a marked increase in the attempts by far-right groups in Australia to capitalise on the current economic crisis. These groups are using the current government's increasing nationalist agenda and war on terror rhetoric to direct people's fears onto vulnerable groups in society. History shows that these far-right and fascist organisations are a threat to workers everywhere and need to be stopped as soon as possible. Counter-mobilisations to these far-right-wing groups by Labor and human rights groups are being planned for all around Australia for the weekend of the 18th and 19th of July. There are two organising committees here in Melbourne, uh, but both of them are working towards a counter-mobilisation for Melbourne on the 18th of July. That's right, and uh, we certainly um, um, urge everyone to, to get there. Now, I've just got two quick um, more items that really literally come, came over um, over overnight, um, so they'll be relatively quick. But one uh, very important one, um, one is that there is actually um, a number of um, organisation, progressive and worker, uh, working class organisation in the Asia Pacific that are actually putting out a statement in solidarity with the struggle of of workers and activists in Greece. So, um, so that's a, 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 um, a very welcome development in terms of international solidarity, and obviously. As people would know, the the vote in Greece, um, either way it goes, the, the struggle will actually continue um, after after Sunday. Um, but um, the other item that I really want to bring up is we've just had a uh, urgent uh, message from Iran, where the the teachers in Iran this year have been incredibly active. They've actually um, done two nationwide. Uh, uh, rounds of strikes and rallies in January, March and May of this year for, to protest against the poverty wages. We've just had um, news that the General Secretary of the Iranian Teachers Trade Association, Mr. Esmail Abdi, has just been arrested by the authorities and um, he's been, um, he's been um, uh, taken to Evan Prison, which is uh, one where many other uh, trade unions have been incarcerated. So that's a very sad uh, piece of news. And as we know, um, the Iranian government is highly repressive against trade unions. So we'll certainly keep you informed and um, we'll uh, put some more information on our website over the next um, couple of days. But that's really the end of our news um, roundup. Uh, it's just on uh, 11 past 9 o'clock here on 3CR Radio. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. We'll go to a couple of community announcements and then we'll be back with the um, discussion around fascism in the Asia Pacific region. These are death cults, nothing but a death cult. Islamist death cult. The Islamist death cult. Have a look cult. at Islam in death Australia. Cult. Death cult. All these mosques the being built. Flag. This All is the a death funds. cult. To use this All term the money they make. a death cult. These are the two enemies we're fighting. The communist left and Islam. Because the two are hand in hand. You mean Abbott and Reclaim Australia's anti-Muslim racism go hand in hand? Yeah, and do you know that Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are organising an anti-Muslim rally on Saturday the 18th of July at Parliament House, Melbourne? That's why the campaign against racism and fascism is organising a counter-rally. We're meeting at Parliament House at 10 o'clock so we can get there first, take the steps first and show them that their anti-Muslim hate speech is not welcome in Melbourne or anywhere around Australia, not now, not ever. 
If you want updates on the campaign, text subscribe to 0422726843 to join the updates list. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 9419 8377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Fourteen minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR, you're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. As we mentioned earlier in the program, there is uh, an increase in right-wing fascist organising here in Australia. How big and how serious the threat is, is a regular topic of discussion among the left that are organising these counter-rallies. But of course, most of our actions are focused um, definitely not nationally and mostly at the local level. But fascism, as we know, is a broader movement um, and we definitely know that our comrades abroad are facing similar struggles. So this conversation is about what is fascism, how does it look across the Asia-Pacific region and how do we fight back? Pierre, you are my guest, (laughs) even though technically you are behind the panel today. Uh, No, so listeners, I did give... So what would you like to know? (laughs) I gave Pierre some homework. Um, We did a little bit of research to look at some key countries across the Asia-Pacific region to provide some analysis on the developments of fascism there. I thought we would start, in fact, with looking at what is fascism. Look, I think that's a very good question to start off with, uh, Giselle, because in reality, there's actually lots of interesting interpretation of what is fascism. And I think as we've seen around the world, there's actually a lot of variation. But but basically, it, it's fascism came, it actually comes from the Latin, it means a bundle of straw. And it basically united there is, um, there is um, uh, force, there is strength. And it's very much a reflection, a reaction to crisis in the capitalist system. That's where it really came out in, in Europe. And it's, um, it's an authoritarian movement, highly nationalistic. Um, it really glorifies violence. Um, it um, it uh, really focuses on mass mobilizations. Um, and it's got the whole um, iconography of uniforms, of the leader, of of, of violence, and it really it, it's really uh, to reimpose order, order and um, and uh, order to chaos and to cleanse the society of what they call degeneration, and of course that can almost mean anyone they don't like. And really, in the end, what it means, even though it comes out as a revolutionary movement, it's really about re-establishing capitalist order. Um, And would you say that a cornerstone of fascist organising must be, if the intention, if the objective is to re-establish capitalist order, it also must be to wipe out those wanting to smash that. So wiping out the left, wiping out trade union organising that is about... um, 
pushing as far against the capitalist state as possible. That's right. That's right. And the interesting thing from, again, I'm not a historian of fashion or whatever, but from what I've seen, they usually don't come up come after the 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 working class first they usually go after some kind of minority and in each country you find different minorities but then they do come after trade unions trade unions are always um targeted because obviously we are um the antithesis of their politics we're all about collectivity we're all about equality we're all about uh, uh acceptance and we are organized and that's what fascism cannot tolerate other organized forces that can actually uh, stop them. So I, I would probably say at the moment that that force in society that you're to, or not the force rather the the minority across uh, that group that's easiest to target right now is Muslims. Not just in Australia, but in many many other parts of the world. France definitely, um, right across Europe, but also in India. And let's look at India a little bit more closely because um, we recently saw the election of the BMP, which our comrades anyway. BJP. Sorry, BJP, which our comrades um, call fascist. What do you say about that? Well, um, look, India is um, interesting and it's certainly, uh, and it's got interesting parallels with Sri Lanka and Burma as well. But India, BJP is the ruling party. I would actually classify it as a, as a far right party, which has fascist elements. And uh, Mahindra Modi actually came out from a youth group called the Rashtritraya Suwayam Sevak Seng, which I probably have not pronounced it well, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm guessing you haven't, Pierre. But it's called RSS. Now, the RSS was actually formed in 1925, which is like classical that European fascism. And it actually fits all, you know, I gave that list of what a fascist organisation, the RSS fits all of them. The only uh, difference from the sort of European type thing, that it's a Hindu. It's quite clearly a Hindu um, fascist organisation, but it's got mass organisation. It's highly militaristic, highly nationalistic, and actually uh, has said it wants to recreate Hindustan, which if you actually go and look at it, sort of includes Pakistan and Bangladesh and Nepal and all that. And it basically said there should only be Hindus there. So that's called planning a genocide. Okay, so, I mean, I was going to ask you what one of the things you said um, defines fascism is the glorification of violence. What has the BJP done or um, the other elements inside the BJP which you're referring to as fascist, what are the expressions of that glorified violence? Well, interestingly, the, the, the RSS, which is really the, the, the best um, arm of the BJP, they sort of keep it at arm's length, but there's obviously you know, quite direct links, is um, they mythologise Hinduism. So they actually see their struggle as part of the Hindu mythology, which if, if anyone's um, read the Hindu mythology, is full of gods that do wars. Um, and they, they actually have their own uniforms. Uh, they've actually done pogroms against uh, Muslims. Um, and so they're actually very well organised all over India. So in terms of, and they were well, very well funded as well. So they are active, they're there, and, you know, they've been there 90 years. So that, that's, that, that, yeah, they're really a serious player. 
Let's look at Sri Lanka because I'm sure there will be some similarities too. Um, what can you? What did you find when you looked at the question of fascism in Sri Lanka? Well, again, it just shows how fascism can actually um, morph and change depending on the local condition. Obviously. In Sri Lanka, there's was been a civil war against the Tamils, and so there there is a um, a a Sinhalese Buddhism organization called the Buddhist Power Force that are the main one organized. They've done they've done pogroms um, against uh, Tamils and especially against Muslim Tamils, um, and they what they've managed to do is they have um, conflated Sinhalese nationalism with Buddhist religiosity. So they basically said the two are inseparable from each other. And Sri Lanka is the Sinhalese Buddhist home. So anyone else should not be there. And um, they've also targeted um, quite strongly against Christians as well. Um, what's been in the the press a lot, and we've definitely done a lot of co- coverage. I, I'm just yeah, yeah. flagging. I'm moving away from Sri Lanka because I think um, the the violence is, speaks for itself. We we know, you know, when we're dealing, well, not dealing with, but the issue of refugees in Australia um, it has a lot to do with the Tamils fleeing Sri Lanka. Um, similarly, people fleeing Burma. That's right, and there again, you will find a very very similar to Sri Lanka. In actual fact, the Buddhist fascists in Sri Lanka and Burma have actually met uh, and they've actually uh, this, uh, talked about creating a, a, a joint front, an international front of, I don't know what you call it, fascist Buddhist ideology, even though, you know, as of, all, of all the religion and philosophies that you would take to become fascist, you would have thought Buddhism would be the least likely to be violent. But... In Burma, it's actually got a the, – the movement is actually called the 969 movement, which you think, what is that all about? Well, it's all about Buddhism. It seems that Lord Buddha had nine virtues. Uh, there's six Buddhist practices, and there are nine Buddhist communities out there. So that, again, they've managed to somehow um, get all these Buddhist philosophy, and they said – we are for Buddhism, and they've totally turned on its head and said these um, uh, Muslim people are against Buddhists. They're, we're in danger of being overrun, even though, of course, the Rohingyas in Burma are actually the poorest, uh, more marginalised community. But, you know, let, let, don't ever let truth and facts get in the way of, uh, of, of reality for these um, fascist organisations. So, again, in Burma, the movement is called 969, and they have actually done pogroms against. And, and okay, so looking specifically at the Rohingyas, obviously we've um, learnt a lot about the, the mass graves and um, definitely the abandonment of people in the middle of the ocean. Um, what 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 is the state of Burma saying about that? Um, the state of Burma, well, first of all, is saying that the problem doesn't exist, um, and then are saying, oh well, no, well they're just leaving their economic migrants, or they're saying, no, no, they're actually from Bangladesh. So it's basically trying to find two thousand different ways because, of course, there's elections coming, and all groups are trying to use the Buddhist uh, ideology to their advantage. 
So the the nine six nine movement is is having a very fertile time now in in, in Burma. I want to look at one other country in you know what I'm broadly going to yep. call South and Southeast Asia. Um, before we look at West Asia, which is where Islam started. Um, so before we go to Syria and yep, yep. <laughs> talk about ISIS, tell us about Indonesia. All right, look, this is. It's a, Indonesia is a good example because it actually shows the difficulty in trying to totally define fascism all the time. Because in Indonesia, there are um, Islamic-inspired death squads and fascist-type organizations, so mass organizations we're talking. But interestingly, and they've actually recently attacked, um, I think last year, um, uh, workers again, um, trade union in, in struggle. But if you look at the... At, at when they really came out in 65, 67, when there was the mass killings of up to a million people. Interestingly, the classical fascism is that the mass movement rises up, they, they start to do the killing, the organisation, then they take power and then they continue. But in Indonesia, it was like a coup. So there was the, the coup, the dictator came in, and then they, they unleashed the, the, the thugs to do the killing. And then they somehow managed to rein them in more or less afterwards. I mean, they're still there. Um, so in many ways, it was almost like the mass organisations um, really were unleashed after the taking of power by the, by the general. So first it was a coup and then there was the fascist uh, mass killings. So it was a slight variation on the, on the, on, on the model, if you can say. But the reality is that those organisations in Indonesia still exist and still are a major danger to the, to the workers' movement in Indonesia. So it sounds like what you're saying is the key elements of fascism are, one, it arises in an economic crisis, a period of economic crisis, that the intention is to reassert capitalist rule through authoritarian means, there is that element of nationalism and the glorification of violence, but particularly mass organisation. I think that's going to come up again. Yeah, yeah. So why? And also religion. It can, okay, can ab- come into it. So I've argued previously that I think we should be talking about ISIS as an expression of fascism. Um, and one of the difficulties we've got in this particular political climate is we're getting hit where we're weak on that question of Islam. So... ISIS is doing whatever it's doing, like mass slaughter of its own people, um, and yet here we are defending the rights of Muslims to uphold their religion, and we don't have any way, because that anti-Muslim sentiment is so strong, we've got no way of speaking about ISIS without feeding into um, this anti-Islam sentiment. What? How would you categorise ISIS? Look, that's a very good question. I would just like to make one previous comment. Is The trouble about the whole Islamophobia is that if you look at North Africa and West Asia, there's actually a number of Islamic organisations. They're actually fighting each other. So it's a very... And it's all involved with the politics and history of it. How would I categorise ISIS? I think they're, they're very close to... They, they tick a lot of the boxes for being fascist. But one thing I don't... See, and, and they're obviously a ruling class organization, but one thing I don't see is them having mass organizations. Um, because from what you can read, they go, they've got 20 to 30,000 um, soldiers, a lot of them are 
from international brigades. Uh, they wouldn't really have any any connection to the local people. So, yeah, look, I, we were. I think in the end we would have to. Um, I think I would say the the fascist or fascist inspired because they tick so many of the boxes, but they do seem to be missing one of the key um, characteristics that we seem that we ascribe to fascist forces, i.e., those mass organisations. So I don't know how that fits in the model, but again, you know, the way they've come up is a very particular area of the world in a very particular time where there's been lots of wars and and conflicts so again you know you do yeah so i'll I'll leave it at that but we um so thank you so much pierre particularly for all of your preparation Uh, we did the best we could with a very big and complex topic we are going to have a series of public meetings exploring these in more detail definitely what we didn't touch on is when economic crisis leads to dictatorship that's not fascism we just didn't have the time today um but we'll uh advertise our public meetings about fascism very very soon that is all we've got time for on asia pacific currents this morning thanks for tuning in uh we'll be back next saturday from nine o'clock um that's all from me pmro and me giselle hannah coming up next is palestine remembered Three CR Community Radio Eight Five Five I am You've been listening to a Three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station Three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.